Welcome to the Design the Future podcast, where we talk with women leading the way towards a better built world. Design the Future is hosted by me, Lindsay Baker, with Kira Gould. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us again this week on the Design the Future podcast. This is Lindsay. And this is Kira. And we are so happy to be back with you again for another week of, uh, you know, chats, checking in, dealing with the times that we are in, hopefully giving you some stories that keep you going, uh, giving you some things to think about. Um, Kira, how are you? How's your, how's your week? Going very well, thank you. Um, yeah, there's lots of things to think about going on in the world right now. <laughs> That's for yes. sure. Yes, it is. There is no shortage. Um, yeah, I was, I've been reading this book that I'm totally loving. Uh, it's called Emergent Strategy. It's by Adrienne Marie Brown. And she was talking um, in this, she was right, you know, I was reading this section um, in which she talks about how those of us involved in changing the world live in a little bit of this constant state of discomfort um and that that is increasing you know like it's increasing these days i guess is the way she put it she wrote the book a couple years ago um so she wasn't really even talking about the pandemic but i can imagine that she would probably say that and it really kind of it, it was very um helpful for me in thinking about how i think for lots of reasons i I like as a person, I'm always seeking some sort of peace, some some sense that like, ugh, like, can we just be done with this, you know? Like, yes. And I realize like, oh, that's not a thing. <laughs> that's not quite the thing. You find peace, right? You find the ability to sort of, you know, get some sleep and be good to yourself and be calm yeah. and all of that. But but it's not. There's there's no point at which things are going to feel resolved, you know, and I'm sort of learning, you know what I mean? Anyway, that was, this is my emotional journey of the week is thinking about how to do a better job of living in that state of not expecting resolution, (laughs) not expecting to be able to just put it to bed. That Um, makes so much sense to me. I, I have to say, I think I, 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 thought about that a few years ago when I realized that the climate work in any field, but in the field that we're playing around in, um, it's just so long and so hard and (laughs) that you have to find the peace in, I think that's where we found the peace and the joy and the, um, all those positive things in the movement itself and in the people within it, right? Because the work itself, the arc was very long and the curve was very steep. So all of the, so you have to like find the people on the path as part of the, the upside, I guess. Yeah. um, Yeah. Or something. Yeah, totally. I think that is it. And I think that's why for some people that I know, they don't love getting this question. What, what gives you hope? You know, like this is the thing, and I I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before, maybe we have, and apologies if we have, but I have a lot of friends who are, who work in climate and who get asked this question on panels, what gives you hope? And, and it's very cringy for many people. And Mm -hmm. I think it's because there's this implication in the word hope that there is sort of um, like, there is an end of the tunnel. 
<laughs> and that there is a light there, you know, like they're asking for the light at the end of the tunnel and people yeah. are like, no, no, it's a tunnel and there are lights throughout it and there is no yes. end and that's not, and like, and so there's something about that term. It's some, one of the reasons that we consciously use this term, what's what, like, who is inspiring you these days, um, try, trying to kind of remove some of that loadedness of the term hope and just saying like what keeps you you know it's i yeah. think it's sort of metaphorically maybe the way of saying like what is what is the light right now for you look like do you have any yes <laughs> you know <laughs> um, but yeah it's uh i don't know <laughs> it's it's hard to get used to it sometimes i still kind of wish that the tunnel ended but um uh, you know, I think that. Well, I think even the most optimistic people working in this field um, answer that question in a way that, you know, is pointing to the progress and the people, right? Like even Catherine Hayhoe, she gets that question all the time. What gives you hope? And she talks about, you know, that more and more people that she's talking to are starting to understand how this is an everybody issue and that this is a real thing in our lifetimes and whatever that kind of like that there's a, a slight turning of the under a growing of the understanding that is actually that actually represents progress of some kind yeah which makes me think a little bit about that 3.5 percent rule you know that harvard political scientist um erica chenoweth she studied all these efforts over the last several hundred years and has shown that it takes about 3.5 percent of the population actively participating in order to secure serious like political change which of course this re work requires <laughs> yeah um, so and I'm still hopeful. I actually do have a little bit of hope that we might actually in our lifetimes <laughs> get to the 3.5% and see a sort of tipping point around climate and equity and all of this, you know? Yeah, 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 totally. And I, I mean, I think that's, that's a really, it's also sort of good to say that it's not that we, that we don't use the word hope at all. Like I'm very hopeful that the Biden administration is going to follow through on some of these really big ideas mm -hmm. and commitments to invest in, you know, equitable solutions for address transition and climate. And like, I'm, I'm hopeful for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a perfectly valid feeling to have or like word to use to describe what your, what your mindset is. Um, yeah, it's just sort of how, how it tends to get used sometimes that, um, that, yeah, I, but I totally agree. And I, and I, I love the 3.5%. It, it does, it, it is motivating. <laughs> much is yeah. um so yeah yeah i'm with you um but yeah so so speaking of lights that we have found um <laughs> along this tunnel that we are in i am so excited for our guest today chandra farley welcome chandra hello uh we're so happy that you're here um so I think you all are going to love hearing from chandra today chandra is an activist at heart she credits her parents with instilling a sense of duty to always do what she can to advance justice and fairness. Currently, uh, she is the Just Energy Director at the Partnership for Southern Equity, where she leads a team of program staff and organizers towards developing local and regional strategies to advance energy equity through coalition building, leadership development, community organizing, and leveraging data and research. Um, I'm, I have become more and more aware of Chandra and her work in the past couple of years. And um, she also, I can I just say also became like a grist 
50 fixer. If you're not aware of that list, it's a very cool uh, list. Um, and congratulations for being on that list. It's uh, a very well-earned uh, uh, honor, I guess, uh, that, that the environmental community gives. Um, so yeah, welcome. Thank you for being here, Shonda. We're super happy to have you. We appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm super excited um, to, to have this conversation and I look forward to um, just letting it flow. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it will. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's gonna be, there's so much to talk about um, and so much that we're excited about. So, so let's just start with the basics. Tell us a little bit about you, why you got involved in the work that you do, what has been your path? Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely always go all the way back um, on that question. I am from a small town um, in Tennessee called Gallatin, and it's about 40 minutes north of Nashville. And, you know, I, I grew up in the country. So, you know, small town life, sports and church and family and, you know, being outside. And I think that you know, that just had such an impact on to, you know, where I am today, you know, being a small town in the South, you know, young black girl, I was raised by my grandparents. And so they remember not being able to vote. You know, they went to a segregated high school, which later on was my elementary school. And uh, we had a restaurant and catering business and the walls of our restaurant were decorated with these huge um, like three foot by four foot class pictures of their classmates from like their class of you know, I think my grandparents were like class of 1958 or something like that and you know just a few different years decorating the walls and uh, sometimes we you know lent the restaurant out to people from our church or you know, from our extended family that may be running for office, you know, I had post-prom breakfast, you know, for some of my friends, and um, we had pre-football game dinners, you know, uh, at, at the diner, so just this um, growing up with a sense of community and civil rights, you know, justice, I think really, uh, moved me into where I am, you know, having the restaurant, it wasn't called farm to table back then. Um, but we certainly got vegetables from my great grandparents garden, you know, depending on what the season was and use those in the restaurants. Um, didn't really call it composting, but you know, the food waste, you know, that I would scrape the plates, you know, um, bust the tables and stuff. And then we would send that up to our cousin's farm, you know, and the, the pigs ate that, that kind of thing. Um, and my daddy fixed up old houses, like quote unquote, as a hobby, you know, so he'd buy houses in the neighborhood and fix them up himself. That was kind of his thing to do. And then rent them out, you know, to like some of the single mothers that worked in our restaurant. So always this um, literal building of community, right? Um, not just the, you know, the people at the restaurant, but the physical buildings um, and always being um, connected to that, I think really informed how I got to environmental justice and, and energy equity today. That's wonderful. I love going all the way back. I, I love to hear about how people grew up and, and had sort of you know, as a part of how they think and work today. I'm, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about 
um, the decision to take on the role at Partnership for Southern Equity and what went into that for you? Definitely. So Partnership for Southern Equity and I were meeting at the right moment, <laughs> I will say. Um, I had been at South Face Energy Institute um, for eight years and just about, so I left PSE, um, left South Face at, at the end of 2017, but in 2016, I um, went through the EPA's Environmental Justice Academy, and this was something that some of the women, um, some of the Black women in Region 4 EPA's office um, created, you know, based on their work with communities and <clears throat> Going through that, it just sort of opened my eyes and sort of shifted me back to remembering, you know, how much I was connected to and wanted to do more work with the people um, in the buildings, you know, that we were making more efficient and, and healthier at South Face. And at the same time, I was going through that EJ Academy, Partnership for Southern Equity was just like exploding um, for lack of a better term um, and beginning to build out their just energy issue area. And so after about a year or so of kind of, you know, I was talking with mentors and, you know, kind of, hey, I'm really thinking about making a move and, you know, here is kind of what I'm thinking I want to do next. And, um, you know, had a couple of folks actually say, Hmm, you know, you should really talk to Nathaniel Smith at Partnership for Southern Equity. They're about to start staffing up. And it was just, you know, every time I had a conversation with, you know, people in my life, sort of mentors, you know, across who knew my building's background, but also knew that I always had this um, social justice, environmental justice slant, you know, to my work from the Environmental Justice Academy, uh, even like leading the Atlanta chapter of Architecture for Humanity. So kind of being able to put all these things together, they were like, yeah, you should really talk to Nathaniel. And after about eight months of, I guess, both of us talking to other people, we finally met up and um, he, he said the same. He was like, you know, I, I had people say that, you know, we, we should talk and, and the rest is history. I, I've been at Partnership for Southern Equity since January um, of, of 2018 and, and really feel like I've been been living the dream, bringing people together um, for around environment and around healthy buildings. That's terrific. Um, can you? I just wonder if you can maybe say a little bit about you know what you're most proud most proud of accomplishing in your work life. Yeah. So that is always an interesting question. <laughs> I think that I, if I were to point back to different career, I feel like I've had a few, quite frankly, over the course of, of my life. Most recently, I will say um, I'm proud of being on, on the Grist 50 list, you know, and sort of my um, personal accomplishment side. Uh, on the professional side at Partnership for Southern Equity, I am very proud of just recently um, in partnership with the city of Atlanta, launching the Clean Energy Advisory Board. And having that first meeting after quite literally about two and a half years um, of working with the city through transitions, um, through reminding every new person that came on 
why PSC was bugging them and partnering with them on, on these various things. But the Clean Energy Advisory Board was the one thing in Atlanta's clean energy plan um, that was in the legislation to make sure that there was a community voice, um, a pathway for community voice in how that plan was going to be implemented. And so I was able to help draft, um, you know, in partnership with community like values, like what are gonna be our values for this board? What is our vision um, for, for this board? And also fighting to make sure that for um, of the seats on this 16-ish member board, I think we're at now, um, had seats reserved for people from the community, um, particularly from the communities who are um, in areas that are have higher energy burdens in the city um, than some of the other areas of the city. And so that equity um, is central to the city of Atlanta's clean energy plan. And so it was critical that we made sure that that thread showed up in every aspect. And so, yeah, we just had our first meeting last month and there are so many incredible people on there. You know, what it's like, Lindsay, who's, you know, from working at South Face, Atlanta's sustainability environmental community is, is small. And so you get into the room on some of these meetings and it's like, kind of like a sustainability reunion, um, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And so it, and it was just so wonderful that to see, to have those people, but also the folks that I've been building relationships with through the work at PSE on the ground in community with our organizers over the last, you know, four years and being able to have all of those people sitting around the table together was definitely a proud moment. Like I actually got off the Zoom and stood up out of my chair and started walking through my apartment. And I was like, yeah, I'm proud of this. This was good, good work. <laughs> that is that so is, great. It's such a beautiful image. I just can't, I totally can imagine how that would feel. And yeah. so, especially yeah. after three years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's why we asked that question. Some people do not like the, what are you proud of question, but that is why we ask it for stories like that. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I just, I also, <clears throat> I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about, more about um, Partnership for Southern Equity, specifically like what the issue areas are and like what, what that, what the organization is focusing on and lifting up. Absolutely. Yeah. So Partnership for Southern Equity is a racial equity organization. And we believe that racial equity is um, the pathway to shared prosperity for all. Um, so we work on the ground across Georgia and across the American South. And our four issue areas are energy and climate, which falls under just energy, which is the work I lead. Um, we also have equitable development. So um, racial equity and land use, anti-displacement, um, and actually like our green infrastructure um, work sits under that issue area. We also have economic inclusion, which we refer to as just opportunity and Just Health, um, which focuses on health equity, which is our newest um, issue area, but our fastest growing. And I've been super excited that we are officially now um, working on a joint project, um, a, the Climate Change Health and Equity Project um, funded by Kresge. So that has given us a reason to be more intentional about bringing those two things together. 
Um, and I always say to people that I believe Partnership for Southern Equity's logo is a circle for a reason, um, because each of our issue areas are constantly informing the other, right? Um, particularly when we talk about energy and climate, we're talking about the economy, you know, we're talking about health, um, we're talking about, you know, development and healthy homes. So that is the, those are the four um, key issue areas that, that we work on and our strategies in each of those issue areas um, are the same across. So we focus on coalition building. So each of our issue areas have what we call an equity circle. So many folks have heard of our just energy circle um, and our equity circles are the places to bring together the uncommon allies, you know, so exactly what I was talking about with the clean energy advisory board, you know, our equity circles are the technical assistance experts, you know, South Face is a member of the just energy circle, Southern Environmental Law Center is a member of the just energy circle. Then we have quote unquote big greens, you know, which for us in Georgia is like the Georgia chapter of the Sierra Club. But also making sure that we are constantly informed by that community voice. So we have neighborhood based organizations. Um, there's a Live Fresh is one of our neighborhood based organizations, West Atlanta Watershed Alliance, um, a community based environmental justice organization, um, faith based groups like Georgia Interfaith Power and Light, traditional civil rights groups like Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda, you know, um, the Atlanta chapter of NAACP. So all of these groups and others working together um, to vision and advance more equitable and just energy utility and climate policy. Um, so that's our, our coalition building work. We have a regional coalition focused on um, democratizing rural electric cooperatives. Um, so we work with a lot of organizers and activists to you know, make sure people know that they are member owners if they are served by an electric membership um, cooperative, you know, not just a rate payer. Uh, so they have, they can run for the board of these cooperatives. They can um, make their vo voice heard in governance reforms and also drive and mobilize investment um, in clean energy, energy efficiency programs, just by showing up at these board meetings, <laughs> right? That they, that they have the right to be at. Um, so that's, you know, what our coalition work looks like. Um, we also, you know, community organizing. Um, our, you know, leadership will say that organizing is the lifeblood of, of PSE. And it is what makes our organization different um, from many or other organizations working in these spaces. Um, we have organizers that work on the ground across the state. Um, we hire them and find them in the communities, you know, that, that we are trying to partner with. Um, so that's the community organizing work. And our leadership development, you know, I'd love to talk about, you know, our Just Energy Academy. Um, and we have academies across our other issue areas as well. So we have a transformation academy, um, which is the Just Growth Equitable Development um, Leadership Development Program. We will be launching a Just Health Academy this year. And then we have a resident leaders for equity program um, that is more broad um, racial equity concepts and community development concepts um, for for leaders. So, you know, those priority strategies, coalition building, community organizing, um, community leadership development. 
and leveraging data and research. Um, so we're definitely trying to build up that capacity in-house, um, but have many partners like the GreenLink Group, uh, you know, who helps us with, with data. Um, we have a partner right now on our climate change, health and equity work with Smart Growth America, you know, who's um, just got so much access and, and power on the research and data side working with us. Um, so that's that's what our issue areas look like and, and that's what, what our core strategies look like across all of those issue areas. That is a lot. <laughs> really <laughs> impressive. Um, I also think that the model, the sort of intentionally unsiloed model is so powerful and I it makes me think how much more impactful and meaningful the work of many groups could be if they would adopt <laughs> parts of that model, um, you know, where the groups understand that each that what they're doing affects the other groups and they you know communicate and share that and sort of evolve um, together. I, I just I love that. Um, I wanted to ask you if you could say a little bit more about the Leadership Academy and the work that that involves, um, why you do that program and, and what it looks like a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, definitely could have been one of the things of one of those most proud of, of accomplishing. And, you know, like I said, PSC, you know, had other academies. So when I came on board, that was one of the first things that, um, you know, had to be set up and, and developed for, for the Just Energy um, issue area. And so, you know, PSE's theory of change is about community-led, people-led process. It's all about making sure that the people who are closest to a problem, um, that people who are first and most impacted um, by inequities across systems are the people who are not just sitting at the table, um, but writing the menu, um, creating the invitation list to the dinner party, um, you know, all of those things that the people who are first and most impacted by our issue um, have the capacity, have the knowledge capacity um, and the support, resource development support that they need um, to lead and stand up in these processes. Uh, so that is what the leadership academies um, are, are all about is arming and equipping communities um, with issue-specific knowledge, um, tactical training, you know, so we do like our organizing for opportunity, um, all of energy policy 101, energy 101, you know, all of these things, because we know like energy, climate, utility, you know, if you're not working in it, you know, it's like these things are, you know, People aren't thinking about that when they get their utility bill. They're just, they can either pay it and they're not thinking about it or they can't pay it. And then, you know, there, there's a whole other list of things um, to, to think about. So the Just Energy Academy is really about being able to work with communities and work with people to make the connection um, between utilities energy and, and climate and daily life, which sounds like that should be front of mind, but you know, the us that do this work, we know it isn't, you know, um, I didn't know what the public service commission was until I started working at South Face 10 years ago, you know, it's just these different things. And it's so critical because no matter what the issue area is, 
this is all about strengthening civic engagement and um, something that we say at PSD is around strengthening that civic engagement muscle because it is through civic engagement and it is through democracy um, that the systems transformation that that we all know that we need and so many of us are working towards that only happens if it's driven by the people um, and the people being able to stand up and and say hey listen to this this is what's happening this is what needs to be done and you know there's a lot of development you know that that needs to happen for for people to be able to you know feel comfortable doing that uh, like Toastmasters for equity. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it makes sense. It completely makes sense. I think there is there. Um, there's a lot that has been either purposefully or are not always purposefully, but I think purposefully made difficult to understand about how energy works and how buildings work. It it is. It's a. It's something that. Um, I, I can completely see why it takes a lot of time and intention to um, equip people to, you know, as you said, sort of increase that civic engagement around these issues. So yeah, I, I, I get it. I love it. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I'm also, um, I, you said at one point when we were chatting before the podcast about how important um, it is to appreciate how slow the work needs to be it's I, I i'm not saying it very well compared to what you said but it's the the patience of doing that organizing work to really build up uh civic engagement i, I don't know if you want to say anything more about that but i think um, that was one of the things that really um resonated with me anyway was hearing that part of it is you know leadership development is it's a, it's a recognition of uh how you know how that process needs to be treated uh, really respectfully, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And and you said it treated respectfully. That's one of the, in our organizing for opportunity that we talked about, you know, it's about trust, respect, and partnership. Mm -hmm. And it takes long time, you know, to, to build relationships. It's, it's not any different than our personal, <laughs> you know, re relationships, really, when we are talking about movement building and social change work you know this this is personal people work and um it it just takes time you know our academies are six seven months long you know when when i went through the epa's environmental justice academy it was nine months long you know and because it's so much information to take in yes but it's also about building those relationships and we want the folks that come through the academies to build their own relationships. So um, something I brought from the EPA's um, Environmental Justice Academy was this concept of accountability partners. So everyone in the class is paired with an accountability partner at the beginning of the seven months. And they have to check in with each other, you know, in between each class, um, they get time at the beginning um, of each session to check in with each other. Um, we are not calling the person if someone is missing from class, we're asking the accountability partner um, where, where their partner is. And it's really amazing to watch these relationships build over the course of the class. And it's so funny, I still um, call my accountability partner from 
four years ago, my accountability partner, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> it's so funny to see the other participants do that. You know, we keep them connected through, um, they have their own like class, WhatsApp chats and things like that. And they're constantly sharing information back and forth, supporting each other when they're making announcements about accomplishments, um, partnering with each other on their community projects. It's a really beautiful thing to watch, but you know, that it, it takes time. And so that is something I feel like, you know, also that we're able to hold space for at PSE um, for partnership for Southern equity, but also for this equity movement, you know, that like, look, mm -hmm. this is what is important. You know, we're not going to fit into a funder's grant cycle. Like we can't transform the energy system in your 6.5 month grant cycle. Okay. Yeah. Like it's yeah. just not gonna, it's not how, you know, we, we do things. Um, uh. and so we, we have to hold that space, um, as we work in, you know, this movement and have to work across so many others that are, you know, still, you know, like sectors and like industries where this is, or with municipalities where this is like, not how things go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. And I wish we had more time to talk about like the funders side of it, because I have been tuning into that, um, that dynamic more recently. And I am really hopeful that um, the sort of the foundation world starts to get the, these messages <laughs> loud and clear about, about how these things uh, about the wisdom that has been um, given to them about like, how you know, what kind of metrics people should be held accountable for. But uh, we, we won't go down that road. I wanna ask you one last question about, about uh, PSC and your work there um, before we kind of zoom out a bit. Um, so, th and that is, I mean, this is actually kind of a zoom out question. It's about um, these terms, energy equity, energy insecurity, and the work that you're really pushing on um, I think they're terms that have been newer for some people and maybe some haven't heard them yet, but can, so can you tell us a little bit about um, the work that you are doing, what it means to push for energy equity, um, what it means to address energy insecurity in, you know, in America today? Absolutely. Yeah, there's so many terms flying around, um, even, you know, with equity, right? And I very often say, if you're in a conversation with someone and they start talking about equity and they can't tell you what it means or how they have defined it for their organization or, or their, their coalition, um, then, you know, you got to sort of back up and, and start there because it's, it's so important you know, that, that we get these, that we are speaking from the same language. So then we're clear about moving, you know, towards the same thing in, in partnership. And so it's the same with energy equity. And we define energy equity at Partnership for Southern Equity as the fair distribution of the benefits and burdens of energy production and consumption. So when we talk about energy equity, that is what we are talking about. When we are talking about energy insecurity, you know, we're talking about the, the larger issue, right? And what I like to, the, sort of the way I, I define it in 
our work and the way we talk about it is that um, we have energy equity um, and then we have energy insecurity and energy security is about having the uninterrupted availability of energy sources at an affordable price. Uh, and so when we're talking about energy insecurity, we are talking about people who um, don't have that very simple um, access, you know, to this life requirement um, um, around, around energy. Um, so when we're talking about energy insecurity, um, we are, are speaking about people who don't have uninterrupted access. We've seen huge, you know, um, awareness around the issue of utility shutoffs, you know, during, during the pandemic. Um, I've been a part of working with the No Shutoffs Coalition with some other groups like Center for Biological Diversity and Democracy Collaborative and Food and Water Watch, who's focused on the water side of things, um, Free Press Action, who's been focused on the broadband side of things, which is a, you know, it's a utility now, right? And so we've seen what happens, just like the NAACP told us. Um, a few years ago with their lights out in the cold report um, that really shone a light on this issue of energy insecurity um, that really comes out when we start to talk about um, shutoffs. So now let me go back. <laughs> so you know, we've defined energy equity. We've talked about energy, um, energy insecurity. And I think it's important that what I like to make clear for folks is that when we're talking about energy burden now, which is all the talk, right? And so when we're talking about energy burden, which is the ratio of household income to the total amount of utility bills. So the more you spend on your utility bills, the lower your household income, the higher your energy burden. And I think it's important to put that one here in the conversation because energy burden is just one metric, one you know, point on the line when we're talking about the larger issue of energy insecurity. Um, so I hope that was- Yes, that is. mud now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, yeah, I, I think it's important because it, 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 it's, um, I don't know whether it's just the world of Twitter or other things. I think we um, we as a community do not always do a great job of really unpacking what we're talking about. And right. I and I think you you know you're right that this this in energy burden statistic in some ways I think has and and you said this I th I think uh, um, so I'll just sort of paraphrase that that. Uh, it, it's easier for people to get their head around because it's such a concrete number. You know, you can look at these graphs and see, okay, what is the energy burden for this particular, you know, you know group of people in this state or whatever it is. Um, and sometimes numbers are the easiest things for us to understand, but they don't, it doesn't mean that they're telling the whole story of what is really going on. And, and it, yeah, it's very limited. So I just am excited for you to have talked to us a little bit about the, the bigger complexity so that people can kind of think about all of the different facets um, uh, of the work uh, that, right. that need to be done. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, okay, well, so so more Zoom out questions. 
I want to ask you about the green building industry, um, which you know you've you have spent some time in and um, and certainly know a lot about. Um, it is talked about as both an industry and a movement. Um, can you talk about what you think about the conflation of these two concepts of being an industry and being a movement? What has been your experience with it? Yeah. So I do not think of the green building industry as a movement. I mean, it is an industry and a sector, which is very different from what we're talking about when we're talking about a movement or, you know, like, like a social movement. And I, but I hear you because I think what is happening within the green building industry right now is this move to um, <laughs> try to make sure that the industry is being more cognizant of the root causes of exactly the things we just talked about around energy insecurity and energy burden and that we can't presume to want to transform systems and usher in a movement if we only think about the data. Like we are the data, right? Um, this is something um, Dr. Erica Holloman and I, who works at Westerlot and Watershed talk about a lot. It's like, we are the data, people are the data. Like there are people behind these numbers and movement building work is is people work and so i think that you know there there's um lots of energy um no pun intended in the green building sector to try to really grapple with what it means to better integrate equity into these building sectors you know um, commercial real estate you know, for instance, but, you know, how do you talk about equity in commercial real estate without talking about the legacy of racist federal policy like redlining, you know, so I, and how do we talk about um, why we have to prioritize certain neighborhoods um, when we're talking about utility programs and policy without oh, well, here was 30 years of federally mandated racist policy, <laughs> Again, like how we developed our, our cities and neighborhoods. And, and so I am not certain that the green building industry is ready for those conversations. And from where I sit, if we are talking about a green building movement, those are the things that we need to be grappling with. Um, so that's a long way around of me saying, I think that there is some movement within the industry, but I do not consider the industry a movement. I mean, those are just two different things on, yeah. you know, on, on its face. Uh, that is, there's so much there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, but I, re I really think it's, I think it's so true. It's so helpful. Um, I was, I guess I shouldn't attribute this, but I was on a call 
yesterday where we were talking about um, the most boring topic of um, distributed energy resources in the grid. And I mean, sorry, it's not the most boring, but it's a thing. Very and, exciting. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, a, and, um, a, and, a, and a woman that I, I know, and I think, you know, um, managed to bring it back to white supremacy and the, uh, and the sort of underpinnings of racial capitalism in America. And I was so impressed. I was like, this is the first time I've ever been in a conversation about distributed energy resources. And someone brought up white supremacy and racial capitalism. And I was like, all right, you're like, this is, we're now we're like, talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> and it was, it was so, um, you know, and I, I, I don't know, it's, it's just to say that has not been the case. It is still not the case for the vast majority of conversations that happen when we talk about green building. Um, and, um, and I support you completely in saying that it's not, um, you know, that the, the movement that we need is one that is willing to, to talk about reparations and to talk about um, the ways in which um, the past hasn't been reconciled with and that's it's so hard it's so hard i've uh <laughs> yeah yeah someone has been recently trying with very limited success basically <laughs> no success at having people stare the past in the face yeah Man. yeah um, but i yeah. will say i was definitely not talking about racial capitalism and white supremacy and the legacy of racist federal policy like redlining four years ago in, yeah. these, in these spaces, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, and you know this, Lindsay, you get a very skewed view of the world for better or worse at South Face, right? Because mm -hmm. it's just such a special place. Um, but it is, you know, I think even these like institutions that have been drivers of, um, market transformation right mm -hmm. you know you you know we can talk about this market transformation um but still we have a, i think it's exciting that we're able to name those things now in in some of those spaces um still with yeah. blank stares often staring back at you <laughs> but <laughs> but i can definitely say um i have i can like almost pinpoint uh and quite frankly it was being able to come to pse because you know when we talk about the quote-unquote pse way our number one value is that we lead with race right so mm -hmm. it is um, we are a racial equity organization and i always say that to people to say because people are so familiar with our energy work and you know our, our even our equitable development work you know which had been going on just as long as, as the energy work and people are like Oh, well, you know, it's an environmental organization. You know, it's like, no, we we are not an environmental organization trying to do racial equity work. We are a racial equity organization that understands that these key issue areas are where systems transformation um, is critically needed um, in order to move to a more equitable and just society. Yeah, thank you. And it's so, I, th I think that is one of the reasons I have been so excited about having you on today and learning about your work because it's this, it's a model that's being called for more now and that we need these stories to show what it looks like to lead with racial equity um, or racial justice issues in 
in uh, rather than having them be secondary or somehow perceived as like results of climate justice work. And it's, it's um, so I think even just having you talk through the work at PSC has been really helpful, I hope instructive to folks and thinking through what what that can look like what we need to see more of. Um, and I wish we could talk even more about it. We're out of time. And so we want to wrap up with our very last question we like to ask, um, which is uh, who you're most inspired by these days. Uh, can be anyone or anything. Um, but yeah, what keep what what gives you some light? Well, always my mama. Um, <laughs> my, <laughs> my grandmother, but but she was she was my mama and just thinking about, you know, being um, a young mother and a young wife in the Jim Crow South in the 50s and, you know, coming into to the 60s and just how um, that experience um, was passed on to me and has served me in a way to be as fearless as I can be, you know, like just to be able to stand up and, you know, she different quotes and, and things like that, because as progressive as daddy was, you know, or, you know, things like that, there were, you know, some things I know that she told me that, you know, she may have had dreams to do, um, but, but wasn't able to do. So I think that's where I, you know, was always like pushed and encouraged, you know, a little bit to just like, you can do whatever you want. You're so blessed. Um, and so that, that carries me um, still, still to this day. Um, and always Angela Davis. I've been working my way through Freedom is a Constant Struggle, um, which is a collection of her, you know, speeches and, and interviews and just how contemporary all of it is, you know, even when some of it was written, you know, 30, 40, plus years ago. Um, and it is just so immediately relevant for, for everything today. Um, so those are, mm. those are, those are the two. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Those are both so, so wonderful. So wise and, and, you know, and certainly for, uh, for Angela Davis ones that people can, uh, you know, find inspiration for, for, for themselves. Um, if you, if you're looking for, a good book. I, I agree. Um, all right. Well, so we are going to wrap up. Thank you so much, Chandra. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Uh, I wish we had so much more time, but it's been, yeah. it's been wonderful. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks. Just thanks to both of you. It's been um, a wonderful process and my first podcast. So I'm very hey. excited. <laughs> thank you, Chandra. It's been so fun to talk to you. And I have about 25 more questions I want to ask you about. <laughs> yeah, but we'll leave that for maybe we'll do Chandra episode two. Um, in the meantime, that I'm is down. yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you, everyone. That is it for us this week on the Design the Future podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters. It helps people find us. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week.